This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. As the new CMO of Pendo, Joe Chernoff says that he inherited something really special. He joined us during his first week on the job to discuss everything he's excited about, both in the new role and going on at the company. He discusses the challenges facing marketers today and how to best set up the people you work with to be as successful as possible. Enjoy this conversation. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And we are joined by special guest, Joe, what's going on? How are you? Nice to talk to you. Yeah, it is going to be a fun episode. Um, Pendo is a hot company. Um, you all are doing some really, really cool stuff. Um, and you have done a bunch of really interesting things throughout the course of your career. So we're going to get into all that. But first, how did you get started in marketing in the first place? I had a whole different career. And I, uh, I was in human services. And it just like, I just wasn't cut out for it. And I left my job and I got home and said, wait a second, I have a, I have a dog to feed. Um, I need a job that might've been a little, a little rash. And so I went door to door at PR firms with a writing sample and a resume, uh, seeing if anybody had a paid internship program. And uh, one was, um, you know, generous enough to take a chance on me. Wait, so really you went door to door? What did that look like? Look, yeah, it was pre-email, right? Or at least pre-email um, being kind of prolific. Um, so I, I like when I say door to door, I don't mean that metaphorically. I you know drove to every PR firm in Boston and like walked in with a resume, and it was kind of bizarre, right? Like looking back, it was just weird. Um, but I had never even considered a career in the private sector, so I just didn't know how things worked. And and I think it was because it was so strange that it had an arresting quality. And, um, and one of the executives at one PR firm said, like, this guy's got some moxie, let's give him a shot. And, um, and I became her sidekick. And I did everything from booking her travel to attending uh, meetings with executives at a Fortune 500 company. So it was, it was just a really stroke of good fortune that this person at this company took a chance on me for those reasons and in doing so gave me exposure that it would have taken me years to get. I always think that's that's so fascinating because um, in the military, I, I was in the army for a while. Um, what they do is for like certain officers that were really talented, you that they make them like an aide to a general uh, or like a or like a colonel or something, and it kind of gives you that really early exposure to the day to day operations and responsibilities of someone that you aspire to be one day. Maybe that's what this podcast is a little bit. We <laughs> we get to live the lives of uh, of CMOs for uh, for an hour, but I, I, that's super fascinating that you kind of supercharged your career or your learning curve by by following around someone who you you know aspired to be like the look the aid is a really good metaphor because um when i took that job um folks at my you know my peer group thought i was making a mistake because they said like look the first thing she said to me is 
you're hired, now go clean my office. And so I did. And she said, that's why I hired you. I said, because I can clean your office? She said, no, because you wouldn't complain. And so I did it. And then she said, okay, now let's collaborate on a deck for like the GM of a business unit for one of the biggest companies in the world. And so I lived at two very different altitudes, but the cost of getting to the high altitude was paid in the, you know, clean my desk. And like, I didn't care. I had a job and I had somebody that had some faith in me. So why not? Yeah, that's, I, I love a message to Garcia. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever read it, it's a short story. I recommend all of our listeners, you should go read it. It's extremely short. Um, but basically, you know, the, the, the gist of it, uh, which I'm probably butchering is essentially like, are you going to be the person that someone gives you a task and you do it without question? Because like, you know, you have a trust and respect for the leader that they're, that they've made enough calculations, um, like, are you going to to do this? And the idea is like, this guy gets a message to to bring to Garcia. Anywho, so flash forward to today. Tell me about uh, being CMO of Pendo. What do you do? Uh, and for our listeners who don't know, what does the company do? I've been CMO of Pendo for less than a week. Um, so right now, CMO of Pendo is spending a lot of time in one-on-ones and um, filtering a lot of opinions on what marketing should be focused on at Pendo. Um, so if you want to know what it's really like to be CMO of Pendo, maybe we should revisit this, you know, six months out. Uh, right now it is just um, intense. What do we do? Pendo is a, uh, we call it a product cloud. So we are um, basically a system of record for product managers where we are, um, we are to product managers what like, Marketo is to marketers. That is the the home base where they communicate with customers and they collect data on how customers are using the product and they collect feedback from customers and what customers want to see built next. And it is one integrated holistic system that allows a uh, product manager to do their job better. So it's... Um, we call it a product cloud because it is a platform that's comprised of features that normally you would have to go to multiple vendors to um, and, and stitch together on your own. And you all just raised, uh, what, $100 million, uh late last year? We did. Um, in um, Q4 of last year, we raised, uh, we raised $100 million uh, from some great investors. Uh, real talk. Yeah, our friends at Sapphire. We love Sapphire. They're yeah, great. Sapphire led the round. So um, Rajiv at Sapphire is on the board. And, uh, you know, they're terrific partners. And look, there's a lot of interest in, in the company because there's a lot of interest in this space, right? Like it's the, the primacy of product. You hear a lot about product-led growth, uh, about how freemium is a uh, product slash marketing hybrid strategy that can uh, generate much higher uh, quality demand than any conventional marketing method could. And there's this, so there are these tailwinds in these, uh, in this sort of movement behind product coming to the fore of organizations, especially SaaS organizations, but not limited to SaaS organizations. So that happens on one hand. And then the other hand, there's this sort of notion that all companies are software companies, right? Like big box retailers, when you get right down to it, those businesses are run by software. And absolutely, it's 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 um, and so it's that old software is eating the world. So you take those two trends, the primacy of product and all companies becoming software companies. And it's no wonder that you see some, you know, really top flight investors uh, 
investing heavily in companies that uh, brand promise is to improve the world's relationship with software, right? To help software publishers um, publish better products and constantly evolve their product to the needs of their um, to the needs of their users. So Pendo is one of the beneficiaries of the excitement in this in this area, but there's other great companies in the space as well. It's perhaps a little underserved. I'd be curious what you think about this because um, product is so important in Silicon Valley and the CTO and the technology leader and all those sort of things. Um, but it's kind of funny that you know product leaders didn't really have like a technology of record um, before this. I mean, obviously there's you know different things here and there, but um, it, it's interesting that you see this. You know that you don't have you know, some sort of widespread product the way that, you know, Salesforce evangelized for sales and, and, and all that sort of stuff. You're absolutely right. That's like, that's what excited me about this company a few years back. I, I started as an advisor a few years ago um, and sort of slowly um, walked toward this role. Every C-level executive has their own system, except for the head of product. And I was at a role before Pendo, and we were prepping for a board meeting. And, you know, every executive knew where they were going to pull their data from for the board meeting, what charts would be representative and what would be represented, and, and basically what their narrative was. And then the CPO went up, right? And the CPO was prepping, and it was um, a lot of speculation, a lot of opinion. Uh, there weren't any charts and graphs. And... While I'm in that meeting, I was thinking, wow, this is the value of Pendo. Like this person doesn't have that kind of go-to resource that every other executive in this room has in order to help them tell the story they want to tell for the board. And so what are they left with but opinion? And, um, you know, and, and that becomes a hard sell after a while. Um, and, and to me, that's exactly the space we should be in. It is empowering the product manager to get a seat at the executive table, providing a sort of a growth path from product manager to product VP to chief product officer, carve out a seat at the executive table for more and more chief product officers, and be that system of record for that role. I think the company is really well positioned to, um, to keep doing that. And so before you took the role of CMO, you were... Um you know, a VP of marketing, how did you, how did you kind of prepare your mind for the transformation into the full-time CMO role? We talk all the time about this crux, this, the, the crucible that is going to be, you know, chief marketing officer. Now, a caveat there, you've done it before, you've been in the job multiple times, you know what being a CMO means. Um, so how did you, what was kind of your process, your your first 90 day arc, if you will? To be clear, I haven't even reached my first nine days. So <laughs> in this role, so it's brand new. Uh, I have, this company has always had great marketing. And my predecessor in the role is an extraordinary marketer, extraordinary leader, extraordinary executive. And he built an extraordinary team. And so all I'm trying to do is take what's put in place in front of me and not mess it up and modify it at the margins here and there. But I inherited something really special. That's fun. I mean, I, you kind of don't hear that as much. <laughs> you know, usually it's like the previous person was doing some weird stuff. Um, 
uh, that's fun. So what, um, in kind of your, your kind of roadmap in your, in your lead up to taking the role. And now that you're, you know, just nine days in, which by the way, what a, what a perfect time to be, to be chatting about this. Uh, I feel like this, it's a, it's a perfect snapshot in time. We really do have to bring you back in six months and, uh, we can talk about, you know, how it went, but how did you prep? What were the things like, did you have, you know, you're falling in on, like you said, a, a great team and, and great marketing. Um, did you have, do you have certain plays that you're looking at? Do you have certain things that you think, um, you know, how you want to expand the customer journey? You know, you said you're doing a lot of one-on-one. So I'm curious if, uh, you know, a lot of that is just, you know, listen and learn, talking to other leaders. Yeah, I got some really good advice from Bill Binch, who's our chief revenue officer. And he said, you know, every successful politician rolls on, uh, runs on a, um, like a, uh, a single issue that lends itself to sloganeering. And um, you need to be able to distill your vision for the next era of our marketing in a, um, in a, in a, in a succinct way that a successful candidate would. Not because you're running for anything, but those stick. And really, uh, while I haven't landed on the, the, uh, the slogan itself, here's what I believe we need to do. And, and this applies to Pendo, but this could apply to any number of companies. We need to create more surface area for our key persona to connect with the brand. And now that, that, and that can sound like you know, fine and dandy, but like as a practical matter, what does that mean? I'll tell you as a practical matter what it means. Most organizations have a CTA bias. They have a content CTA bias, perhaps, if they come from that world. Where Pendo is, where it's a product company that's built by product people, we have a product demo CTA bias. The best way to get our attention is to ask to see the product. Why? Because that's our DNA. It's product people. When I was at Eloqua, the best way to get our attention was to consume our content. Why? Because we sort of invented that whole uh, from content through to um, customer process. So your 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 kind of your roots show often in that kind of first conversion event with a customer, and we have to be aware of whatever the limitation of that bias is. Like if we had a content bias, the limitation is there's a tremendous amount of decay in that model. We have a, we have a product demo bias. The limitation to that is it's a real high ask to get somebody to, before even really getting to know you, um, hand raise to sit down with sales for an hour and get a demo of the product knowing that you've just entered a sales process. That's a great point. Yeah. So what I want to do is create much more of a portfolio effect of the different ways that um, product managers can get our attention. And why do I emphasize product managers? Because we can never lose sight of our persona, right? Like we need to be the patron saint of that role. And product managers are among the busiest of um of professional functions. Why? Because, you know, they've got a foot in the business. They've got a foot in technology. They're pulled in the direction of um, go to market. It's a role that exists in between all of these other functions, in addition to doing its own job. 
right? And so we have a very distracted and um, a persona that's under intense pressure. And so what I want to be able to do is to say, if you want to try our product and never talk to a person, we've got an option for you. If you want to see the product, but you don't want to talk to sales, we've got an option for you. If you want Pendo's expertise, because there's a lot of great product people in this company, and you don't want to talk about Pendo, the software, but you want to talk about Pendo, this, um, this collection of intelligence from some of the best product people in the world, we've got an advisory option for you. But if you do want to sit down with sales, then there's a CTA for that as well. And underlying all of this is constantly producing really useful, helpful content. If we can create that portfolio, that amount of surface area for our persona to raise their hand and connect with us, I think we can, um, I was going to say reshape our funnel, uh, but I think we can have a variety of different shaped funnels, all of which lead to good outcomes for the business and hopefully for the PM role broadly. It's a beautiful way to say, meet your customers where they are. And this is a huge mistake for most marketers and sales teams is that they optimize for what they can do well or efficiently instead of how people buy. I mean, that is like what you just described is like how your customers buy and how your marketing fits into how your customers buy. It, you did not talk at all about how Pendo sells. You know what I mean? Um, and, and truly all of those functions are sales functions and shaping functions and, and positioning and all sorts of different things um, of like the, the, the gooiness that is Pendo. But the difference is that um, it truly is like on their own time. I, I think that's really interesting. I'd be curious how, how does sales feel about this? Oh, uh, look, our sales team is run by Bill Binch and Bill Binch is a machine. Bill Binch wants pipeline and he wants to close that pipeline. He wants to grow the business. If Bill believes that this is the best way to generate high quality pipeline and put his team in a position to succeed, Bill will support it. Um, and before I started the role, like he, had, he and I had a heart to heart, like he came from Marketo and I came from Eloqua. So we were, um, we were uh, on opposite sides of the same fence. I don't even know if that makes visual sense, but like we were in the same industry at fierce competitors, but believed in the same ideology. And uh, while we were talking, I was like, you know, you and I are so passionate about like this from content through nurture to scoring, um, uh, routed to the SDRs, and then um, and then um, and then shared with the AEs at the right time. Like that's that's the the process that we've built some you know healthy careers on the back of, and I just don't know if that process holds right now because that playbook has been run by so many companies that everybody on the receiving end of that kind of uh, marketing motion knows what's happening on the other end, right? They know that um, the minute they convert on that form to get that ebook, they know what to expect. And I think that it's decaying. Not at Pendo, I think it's decaying writ large. Like HubSpot was one of the inventors of this. I worked, I ran their content team and they've shifted their whole model. Like now you consume an app, convert once and you get all their content for free. They don't make it do something every time. Even they, even like uh, the company that 
literally wrote the book on this inbound approach has moved away from um, that original iteration and, and we're going to too. Now that doesn't mean we're not going to publish content. It means we have to think about it in a, in a bit of a different way. We've got to think about it a little bit less as a top of the funnel and more about adding value to our prospect, wherever that prospect may be in their career path. Yeah, I, that's, I 100% agree. And I am, you know, I am a huge fan of young SDRs and BDRs, and I have nothing but respect for people that are in the struggle doing that sort of stuff. And it's a great, you know, pipeline into sales for their career pathing. But none of us want to be emailed by a 22-year-old and asked for 15 minutes of our time. No, no one, no one wants that. It doesn't matter if you have the exact right thing that I have been looking for, <laughs> the elixir of life. I'm just not going to trust that that person truly knows enough about my role, even with all the collateral in the world behind them. I just don't trust it. And if they do have all the collateral in the world, guess what? I can just get that from them without talking to them. Like that's just the way it is. And and if sales is changing, marketing has to change. We've made our bed, right? Like marketers are dealing with uh, the sins of the father here. Um, that SDR that's sending you that, can I have 15 minutes of your time? Maybe 40 years old, 50 years old. They may be an Yeah, expert. true. Yeah, I, I don't mean and, to be ageist. Yet, yeah. No, but, no, no <laughs> you, just, but you're yeah. not being ageist. What's happened is... Um, they may be 40, 50, they may be an expert, but they will never get a chance to prove to you that they're an expert because sins of the father, because the way this process has been run has been boiler room with people right out of college that are just hitting send, 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 send all day and not having the depth of knowledge to be that trusted advisor when the time comes to get you on the phone. And so as a result, we distrust all of it as consumers. And so I, I, I am agreeing with you passionately. Um, and, and the issue is that um, we've earned our reputation. And so we've got to live with the reality of the reputation we've earned. So if we do this advisory um, event, if that's one of the services we offer, it's not going to be cut across our whole SDRs. It's not going to be a call call by a different name. There's going to be some a very finite group of people that are eligible to perform that service, and they will have gone through extensive training, and they will have marketing uh, tools, data that we don't even release to the public, and we hold it back for them to only share in these conversations. And so imagine that. Imagine being the CMO of a company that puts a lot of time working with data scientists, coming up with um, looking at patterns in usage data, and then never using it for marketing messaging. Because the bigger value is to hold it back and give somebody something exclusive on that call that they can only get by talking to us. That's what that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's the community approach. It's like you get more from the community by being like by buying the pro product, you get access to the community. And part of Pendo's community is like you said, you're dyed in the wool product people. So if you want to get access to the best product people in the world, then this is where you go. Um, and I think that that's it's a it's a salient point. Our most recent board meeting. This was a this was a topic like one of one of Pendo's strengths is 
there's a community around this company. Um, before I arrived, the um, marketing leadership uh, put in place this um, community called Product Craft, and it was a brilliant idea. And it is a editorial site that is owned by Pendo, uh, but that anybody can publish to. And it's um, Pendo. We do not put our thumb on the scale of editorial on that, and it exists like quasi independently. We don't have lead goals on product craft. Um, what, uh, and then we spun it into an event series. So now we have like product craft, the event and we get, you know, um, we're taking on the road this year, but we're doing road shows with 250 people showing up and their product managers there to network with other product managers. Pendo opens up the session and kicks it off and welcomes people. And from there on, it's just a product conference. And there is power in that autonomy, right? There is credibility in not slapping a Pendo logo all over the thing, like to give it its own identity. And that's, how, that's also how community is built. It's by getting out of the way of the community, letting the community sort of self-perpetuate. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, you're, you're preaching to, to the choir on this. I mean, we literally build communities. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I would, I would add to that, that, um, if that is changing, then the function in which a marketer, in, a marketer's role within that community is no longer to push. It is to push content or to push product or any of that. It is to facilitate. It is to, um, you know, give alley oops to the to the to the guests. It's being the point guard of the team uh, or the quarterback, and and I think that that is like a fundamental shift in certain types of marketing's background, where it's just like everything is alley oops to sales, not to like back to the community to be able to do uh, and and spread and things like that. And I and I truly believe I think that's the next generation of marketing. I think that. Like those type of things are are much more valuable, and like we saw this with Dreamforce, yeah, whatever, fifteen years ago, whatever the first Dreamforce was, and 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 that becoming like you know now this like massive, enormous, uh, you know, party um, with Salesforce, who you know sponsors this podcast and and was there from the very beginning uh, of this show, and and I think, and I think the way that you have to align your team around facilitating is going to be a paradigm shift because product marketers aren't, aren't trained for that at all. Right. Um, you know, maybe certain like field marketing or, you know, some of the demand gen functions might be a little bit trained for that, but I I think it's going to be, um, a paradigm shift. And I would say it's, it's not even just about get out of the way. It's like, how do you continue to move move the uh the dialogue forward without being like intrusive or something like that it's uh you're right and um that there is a it's a different skill set and uh, i don't think it will replace marketing as we know it but it has to be it has to be um a respected emphasis um component of it and so i've had this you know um I have this counterpart here, um, Ashley Stepien, who's just like one of the best marketers and best people I know. And she ran the um, revenue marketing side of the business and communities under me. 
uh, and community uh, was inclusive of this product craft uh, editorial site. And so I look at a chart depicting product craft traffic and it looks like a witch's hat. It's like flat. So there's the brim. And then there's this huge spike. That's like the pointy part. And then it comes crashing back down and it's flat again. And flat's an overstatement, but you get the idea. And I said, Hey, Ashley, what do you think that spike is in the middle? What caused the witch's hat? And so she looks at the date and she's sharp and she says, Oh, I see what's happening. And it was our product craft event and we were running paid for product craft and she wanted to sell tickets. And so I said, you know, like you like product craft when you want to sell tickets, but what about the rest of the year? Can, you know, where's the, where's the love for paid? And look, she has numbers to hit and I'm prone to say, show me how I'm measured. I'll show you how I behave. And what you saw wasn't bad behavior by Ashley, and it wasn't um, unfair policing by me. Show me how measured, I'll show you how I behave. And so she's measured on getting uh, butts in the seats at the conference. So she invests in the community when it's time to get butts in the seats at the conference. And this is why Pendo is such a healthy company. That didn't lead to some type of uh, cold war. What it led to is, marketing leadership sitting down and saying, well, if it was good enough to invest in product craft for that period, shouldn't we be thinking about perpetually investing more in product craft? And so what we did is we took our overall marketing budget and um, we carved out a piece for brand promotion that has no um, lead gen KPIs to. And so like Ashley had no incentive to pump a bunch of money in promoting product craft because she was measured in a different way. And so if she were to spend a dollar on that, that's a dollar she could have spent on a program that uh, she is measured on. And so I believe there are no bad people. It's just bad KPIs. And so we just readjusted our KPIs so that incentives were in the right place. And there was like never um, a single tick increase in anyone's heart rate. It was just like a very healthy, logical conversation about how our, how our incentives were misaligned and, um, and budget, a shift in budget and, a, and an expansion of our KPIs uh, would solve the problem. And, and, and here we are with a bit of a different component to our marketing motion now. I, I love that story and it is the ultimate like, if you build it, they absolutely will not come unless you market it kind of a thing, right? It's like, um, it, this is totally true. That's they certainly great. won't come and, in droves. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and, and I want to, and I want to kind of dig into that a little bit because I think that it also illuminates something else that I find really fascinating is like, um, you know, kind of in the Clayton Christensen jobs to be done, uh, sort of idea is like we fundamentally misunderstand what as marketers what conferences do and that's part of the issue is like what if the feeling of being at a user conference for that couple days is this like you know nebulous weird uh energy and excitement right and we always say well how do we how do we continue that for the rest of the year um, but we don't ever kind of like reverse engineer what that feeling is in order to make that stuff happen, right? And so we kind of like end up just never doing it right, like ever. And I think Product Craft, and for our listeners, you can go to productcraft.com um, and check out what, what we're talking about here. Um, 
is a great example of that, of like, we need to, or maybe, and I'll say maybe it's like the V 1.5 of what this thing will become in the future. Um, but it is something that is like always on and always engaging and trying to continue that stuff. And it's beyond a conference. It's not a user conference that you try to, you know, keep going throughout the year. It is, a, it's creating something that, um, is helpful and creates that feeling throughout the year of which there is a podcast, there is a, uh, there is content, there is events, um, and there is best practices and there are our connection points. Like, do you, do you kind of get what I'm saying there? Yeah. And as marketers, we can get, we can fall in love with a format because formats are trendy, right? But it's the format is just the means to the end. There's a finite number of product managers at software companies in the world. Um, certainly fewer of them than there are of marketers in the world. And, um, and I, I only bring up marketers because I am one and I've marketed to them for the, uh, in most of my uh, posts. There's, there's a finite number of them. The point to product craft should be how big can we get the community? How actively engaged can the community be? And how happy are the community members? And the minute you start to push your agenda onto them, you're going to see growth slow, you're going to see happiness tail off, and you're going to see participation drop. So there are, you know, no bad people, it's just bad KPIs. If you put, um, if you put a number on product craft, or any, you know, thought leadership, quote unquote, community that a brand spins off, and those numbers, and I'll, I'll give you an example, is those, and those, um, those KPIs have to do with like influencing deals, or worse, sourcing deals. Um, you're going to strip mine the community. The temptation is going to be too great. Um, I had, you know, I worked for like, I don't know, one of the two or three best marketers in tech, uh, Mike Volpe, when I was at, uh, when I was at HubSpot. And we, um, so I, I ran He's now the, CEO of Lola, Lola.com. We, we just interviewed uh, their CMO. Uh, she's absolutely Oh yeah, great. Jean, she's terrific. Uh, and so Mike was, uh, I, so I worked for Mike and I, um, one of my responsibilities there was I owned the um, HubSpot blog, which is a very popular blog for marketers. And at the same time, we were spinning up a, um, a group that would become HubSpot CRM. It was a sales tools group. And they started a, um, they started a, um, a sales blog. And, but they realized that they were trying to get uh, individual sales reps to download a free set of tools. So it was almost more like, you know, just so many sales reps in the world that it's almost more like a consumer play there, at least at the time it was, right? And, and so their, like a blog, a thought leadership blog was never gonna pull in the kind of traffic that they would have needed um, to pull in for free tools for individual reps, right? And so they kind of punted that blog over to my group and said, Hey, we've got this blog, do what you want with it, but um, we're not going to support it anymore. And, you know, Mike in his sort of um, persistent genius, um, he said, all right, Joe, you have eight months. I want a million um, monthlies on this blog in eight months. And I had really good people on the team. So I said, yeah, I think, you know, I think we can do that. And I was going from like, I don't know, 200,000 to a million in eight months was ambitious, but we had really good talent. So I said, why a million? He said, good internal boast. And at a million, we can start to run some ads on it. 
before a million, it's just in the community growth phase. And now a million is out of reach for uh, most companies. And, but what he wanted to do is put a number that was so big, it would, it would push off any temptation we would have to strip mine that community and strip mine that community by way of like slapping CTAs all over it and making it feel like a commercial blog. And a million just, you know, it's a number that's like kind of easy to wrap your head around. It's easy to get passionate about. You feel like you earn the right to start to market on it. Um, but what he did is he kicked the can for, it took a little more than eight months, but he kicked the can down the road and um, preempted any arguments about when would we start trying to commercialize the blog. Uh, I thought that was just a stroke of genius. And like a stroke of like day-to-day -day genius. It wasn't like he had to go off and commission some study as to the right time to do it. He just knew instinctively there's going to be a temptation to advertise on it. How can we resist the temptation, set a goal, put the goal far enough out that we get a good handle on what this community is really like before we start to try to monetize it? That's a great point. I, I would be moderately skeptical of, uh, of pushing to a number. Um, I, I love that the delayed, the ability to say, like, let's figure out what the heck we have. Let's build something that's valuable for people and then, you know, figure out like what, what to do with it. I, I would I would also posit that if we were to run that same experiment today to optimize towards engagement, which is what you mentioned a little bit ago, and towards impact. And I look at something early in my sales career when I was learning to sell, the, the number one tool, the absolute number one tool uh, that I used was the Advanced Selling Podcast. Those guys are great, Brian Chesky and... Or Brian Chesky and... David Neal, Brian Neal. And anyways, um, they altered the course of my career forever uh, because of just how well they could articulate the like mindset of sales to someone who is young in sales. Um, and I don't listen to that show anymore. I haven't for years and years and years, but the impact of that show has stuck with me and will stick with me for the rest of my life, Right. That is impact and the engagement and the veracity that I was at at that time in my life in engaging that content was like critical to my success. Like that is what you need to measure and bottle when you're creating these types of communities because that is the thing that actually yields you all of the, all of the um, credibility to then sell to that person, right? Like if they were to sell me products, I am now willing to do that because of what they have done for me. Um, what those two dudes in this case had done for me. And I think that that is the one thing that marketers day in and day out miss is like measuring the wrong thing. Everyone knows engagement is important. ABM, you know, engagement is in every single framework. Uh, we're all trying to figure it out. Um, but like, you know, I read Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen um, years and years ago. And so did like everyone in Silicon Valley and all sorts of people read that. It's a hugely impactful book, but we don't ever engage with it anymore. So there just has to be some sort of framing around impact and engagement rather than reach and volume. And I think the depth of the interaction and the impact is like the key to unlocking, you know, to be able to have those sales conversations down the line that are teed up for success. So take everything you just said, right? Pretend that this interview is um, just that uh, one commentary by you. 
and I'm some CEO that's listening to it. Nine of them out of 10 will go over to their head of marketing and say, I just heard this guy in this podcast uh, that was really persuasive. And what we need is a podcast because he listened to this podcast and it changed his career. And he's still talking about it years later. Where is our podcast? And they will have entirely missed the point because we latch on to trendy media and podcast is trendy medium. And so the plight of the CMO. And if you want to know the difference between a VP of marketing and a CMO, here it is. The plight is to say, podcast is just the means. What you're really asking for is how can we change the lives of our buyers? And give me a month or a week or however much time you need. And I will propose to you how we can change the lives of our buyers. A podcast may or may not be part of that. And that's the difference, right? And it's to take what the uh, take the the CEO is likely to distill that sort of um, heady interpretation of uh, what's happening in the exchange between uh, a brand and the consumer, and reduce it to the thing that's most tangible, the medium. Go to the CMO and say we need this medium, and um, Less confident CMOs will then say to their team, spin up a podcast. More confident CMOs will say, let's double click on what you're really getting at. And that's, to me, the difference. Yeah, I agree. And obviously, you know, we're super bullish on podcasts as well as a, as a medium. And I think they do work really well. But I 100% agree with you there. And I would say, like, if you were to boil down my feelings in that moment was I, I had a bad sales leader. I needed to be inspired because it's a rough road to hoe, right? So that was brutal. I also needed to learn from a best in class person. And I didn't have one of those because I had a bad sales leader. So like I needed that. And I think um, depending on, I think that putting, like looking at the impact that you're going to have based off of like buckets and feelings of your persona rather than this just like backwards looking approach of like, hey, we need to create 10 blog posts or 10 podcast episodes or, you know, 10 TikTok videos or whatever it is of saying like, how are they feeling in the moment and how can we create something that helps them to uh, either change that feeling or enhance that or do something that is valuable to them. And I, I really think that so few people, you know, we, we talk about marketers being empathetic, but it really is the key. You have to be in the shoes. You have to live, walk, walk that road. And look, so they, this, these two guys in this podcast left a mark because they were like your phantom mentors, right? At a time where you repeated one, that's the distillation. And so may it be a podcast? Sure. But let's say you're a company that has an addressable market of a hundred companies and you sell $5 million a year software to a hundred companies. That could be a good business. What do you do? Like maybe it's a podcast, but there's only a hundred companies. So does a podcast make sense or does it make sense that like you have office hours with your CEO and these, uh, these prospects can come in and, or you pay some like, super expert in the space to do office hours. And they can come and talk to somebody one-on-one -on -one because the addressable market is so small. That's why I say you don't, 
I try not to start with the solution and work backward. I, I try to start with like, you know, our, our chief product officer says a PM's job isn't to fall in love with the solution, it's to fall in love with the problem. And, and so I, I think that's transferable to this sort of everyday conversation that happens between uh, business leadership and marketing leadership. And that is um, uh, avoiding, um, avoiding replicating solutions others have found um, and instead identifying the underlying problem and kind of unpacking why that solution was right for that problem. Yeah. And then figuring, yeah, you're totally right. And then figuring out the channels in which you can get that message in front of the people. Um, uh, you know, it's like the medium is the message, right? Um, <laughs> um, not the other way around. And, and it's the, and it is truly like we, we, we spend so much time now, obviously we are talking B2B, your background is in B2B and we talk a lot of B2B on this show and there's lessons there for B2C as well. Um, but specifically in B2B, it is a, in a lot of times about your career and it's the thing that you spend, you know, 40 to 80, whatever hours a week on and people take it very seriously as they should. So, um, there's a lot kind of built up in that. And, and I think it's a fun space for marketers where like you have a really cool responsibility to be able to help and shape people's lives and like like, you know, if you work your way backward, I, I, I love that. I'm, I could literally talk to you for hours about this because um, I, it's, a, it's a great conversation. And I love the way, I love the things that you're doing at Pendo. And I also just like the framing of this stuff, I think makes exact sense. And your, your use case with the CEO is exactly right. That is your job as the CMO is to go back and say like, eh, I don't think we need a, a, a daily blog post. I, one time I talked to a CEO and he's like, I want five blog posts a day. I'm like, why? What what metric is that? What are you trying to prove? <laughs> like, unless there's some outside metric that you want that you need a some sort of like thing that I don't know about, but like, tell me why, you know? You know, you mentioned um, the Marshall McLuhan um, title, The Medium's The Message. I'll tell you a real quick funny story. When I was at Eloqua, I um, produced an infographic um, uh, uh, using that, uh, intending to use that, um, that phrase, but I'm dyslexic. And so it went through all the rounds of reviews. And this is like my baby. We released it at South by Southwest, a ton of time and research had gone into this. And, um, I presented on it and I presented on it with a panel of, um, you know, reporter from Mashable at the time was like big hot blog and, uh, some like big tech influencers. It was like the height of um, our ability to marshal this sort of um, this sort of profile support. And the graphic is up on the screen. And a guy in the crowd says, um, I get all of this that you're saying. And um, it's persuasive. But isn't it the medium is the message? That graphic says the message is the medium. And my, <laughs> my, in my dyslexia, I switched medium and message. And I was so embarrassed. And I said, um, that's a really good point. Um, you, sh you should be an editor. You should be an editor. And he said, I am. And so I thought that was very funny. That's great. Oh, that's great. I mean, I probably have at least one of those in an episode on, on this show where I it gets something backwards um, in in my mind, especially after a couple episodes in a day. That is uh, that is too funny. Um, 
Okay, so uh, we got to get you out of here. You're you're a busy guy. Lots of fun stuff going on at Pendo. Uh, but I do want to get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. You can learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer. Salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round, Joe, are you ready? I am ready. Number one, what is your favorite animal? A dog. It's not the most exciting answer, but... Mankind's one contribution to the world's betterment is dogs. And I, I wanted to bring this up because you are very into uh, wildlife conservation efforts. And, and uh, you have a cool story about this. Can you share it? A few years ago, I read this article on um, shark finning. And in the article, it said, like, we kill 100 million sharks a year uh, for their fins and, and discard, the, discard the living body that just um, – drowns and uh, it just I was like wow that's a big number and then I was in bed that night and I thought man 100 million how like how many is that a day how many is that an hour and so I write to a, um, a graphic designer friend and I said let's do a graphic on just like how much 100 million is so I want you to do like this endless scroll visual of 100 million sharks being slaughtered and I want it to add up I want you to build a count 100 million icons and he said look no CMS in the world can support that so we had to reduce it all the way down to um, how many are killed an hour and even that feels like an endless scroll it's like thousands and thousands and thousands and it became such a sensation that it was on like kevin smith's podcast omni magazine shark week i had back and forth with the guys from um sharknado like it was just crazy and um then there was um I read about elephant slaughter for ivory tusks and how like elephants don't shed their tusks uh, the way like one would uh, deer would shed antlers. Um, you know, they, they give them up unwillingly. And I, um, I found this guy, this guy that's a, um, he trains rangers in national parks throughout Africa to um, track elephant poachers. Uh, wildlife poachers in general, bushmeat poachers, rhino poachers. And, um, I found him on Quora because he was giving these beautiful, compelling, entertaining answers to all sorts of wildlife questions, this guy Rory Young. And I went back to that same designer and we did a visual on um, how trusks are really sourced. And um, air quotes are unsourced. And the acting president of South Africa shared it. Um, there was an organization that I don't know if they did this, but they were going to put up the poster on flights arriving from nations that um, tend to um, uh, trade in illegal ivory. And it was really, it made a difference. It raised a lot of money for the organization. So I, I joined their board as a result of it. That is really cool. And I, love when technology can have an impact like that and specifically when marketing can uh marketing plus technology uh like what a time to be alive that we can have an impact like that with such you know truly just i i always joke with our team that you know sitting there in basketball shorts and and a t-shirt on on your couch you can have an impact that reaches like millions of people like what a cool thing what a play, place in society that you can do that and uh um, that's really awesome. That's really, really cool. Thanks. 
not exactly the most lightning-y, so maybe I should have positioned <laughs> that before the lightning round. Um, okay, so what about the smartest uh, or the most fun app on your phone? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I have a one-in, one-out policy on my phone. So I, um, so I stay like status quo with apps. Um, I, this is so uh, bougie, but um, I like Nike sneakers app uh, where like, there's like limited release sneakers that you get a first run at it there. And, um, you know, you can sort of grab it before they're in stores. Um, my wife thinks it's ridiculous. She's like, you know, you just uh, wish you were a venture capitalist and you're not. Um, and I think maybe there's <laughs> something to it. Um, but I, uh, I'm, I, I spend an unusual amount of time in that app seeing what's coming out. What about favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? Oh my God, this is the easiest question I've ever been asked. The Beastie Boys book. I spent, oh, it's literally like, it's like Catcher in the Rye followed by the Beastie's bo Beastie Boys book as like the two great American works of uh, literature. Uh, <laughs> I loved every second of that book. It's, uh, I loved every second of it. Best advice for a first time CMO. You live and die by two things. Your team's support and your uh, your team support and your CRO's confidence. That's what it all comes down to. If your team revolts on you, you have no chance. And if the CRO loses faith in you, you have no chance. Um, if you solve for those two, the CEO falls in line. What you really need to solve for is your partner on the other side of the pipeline and the people that do the hard work that make it possible for you to be successful. It comes down to those two things. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Favorite band? What is your favorite band? The the replacements. I thought you were going to say Beastie Boys. <laughs> no, I do like the Beastie Boys, but the replacements, you know, that's um, if if all music went away and only um, the replacements were left, I, you know, I'd be okay in life. Um, my, our outgoing uh, VP of revenue marketing, Ashley, I talked about her earlier. Uh, one day I get um, this shirt in the mail, not long ago, like a month ago. And it was like, you know, Tommy, uh, Paul, it's like all the names of the mats. And there was no note on it. I was like, wow, who sent me this shirt? And then it was stressing me out. And I'm writing all sorts of people asking if they sent me the present. And it was Ashley. Um, and it's funny, I was in a... Um, call with this guy who is really doing me a favor. Somebody at Segment was giving me some free advice. And um, in the call, I asked, I, I told him that I'm like, sorry, I'm distracted. I'm puzzled by this mystery of this shirt. And um, he said, wow, that'd be a really cool like mystery ABM campaign if somebody could find out your favorite band and then send you <laughs> a shirt. And so he was helpful to me in the call and he didn't have to be. So I sent him one of the shirts for Joy Division, he had said it was one of his favorite bands, and but I didn't put my name on it. And then I get a note uh, about a week later saying, "Wait a second, so did something really weird happen, or was this from you?" Uh, so maybe it becomes a viral thing. If you ever get a shirt of your favorite band, it was all started by Ashley. You know, a little bit of work, right, goes a long way. <laughs> it's it's always the thing that I feel like you can find out so many things of people online for better or for worse, and uh, and just a little bit of work from a marketing perspective goes goes a long way. It's true. Um, um, that's it. That, that's all we got, Joe. This has been truly, truly delightful. Uh, any uh, any final thoughts? Any things to plug? No, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. You ended with delightful, so let's leave it at that. I had a good time. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks. 
Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers, to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.